ask for those things that will help you develop your career. Set goals. You don't always have to climb the ladder. You can take a lateral move, but yeah. make sure you're learning something mm -hmm. while you're taking those moves. So set those goals um, in order to continue in your career um, and realize that titles are not everything, salary is not everything, satisfaction of what you do is what's most important. Hello everyone, this is Tracy and I am your host on the Visible at Work podcast. Subscribe to hear a weekly dose of actionable insights from me with my decade experience working with multicultural teams across Europe, the Middle East, Africa and North America. You also hear down-to-earth interviews with culturally diverse people who have succeeded to remain visible at work, irrespective of adjusting to different countries, work cultures and people. You don't want to miss this. Hello everyone, you're welcome to another episode of Visible at Work and I have a special guest. I always bring you special guests and my special guest is currently based in Bangladesh. It is 8.30 a.m. in Vancouver, Canada and it's about almost 9 p.m. in Bangladesh and she's made the time to come on today to speak with us and share her personal experience and professional experience with moving abroad. Her name is Carla Fraser. And she is a current expert, a global educator, an educational consultant, and an expert career coach as well. She's also an entrepreneur. And Carla's story is very special because we share a, the same bond, uh, the FIGT Scholarship for Families in Global Transition that I was part of, uh, nominated as a scholar in 2020. Uh, Carla was also a scholar as well. She was named a scholar. And uh, we're the only two women of color in that uh, category. So it's pretty interesting to have Kyla here today. So back to Kyla's story. Um, she's a third culture kid um, from Jamaica. She's lived in six countries, the US, Jamaica, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Commonwealth of Dominica, and Singapore. She's also worked in five countries, traveled to 45 for tourism and cultural enrichment. Carla began this expatriate life 12 years ago, and she's been able to merge her global adventures with her international affairs background. Her professional experience and career includes 20 years in higher education administration, of which nine were international. She also has two years experience in corporate conference planning. So Carla's area, Carla's area of expertise includes student housing, management, student services, conference service management, planning, human resource allocation, staff recruitment, placement, budgeting, and technology. Um, Carla also expanded her portfolio and uh, became an expert career coach and an entrepreneur by uh, starting Rose Apple Global LLC. So this is an accumulation of all her experiences. And thanks to the digital age, Carla is able to expand her reach and reach a lot of people, offer them invaluable opportunities from varying backgrounds around the globe. And she has those same life experiences as a TCK and a global working uh, experience and also travel. And she wants to help others achieve their goals through expert leading. Carla Fraser, it is a pleasure to have you here today. You're welcome. Great, thank you, Tracy. Thank you for that reading that lovely bio. 
it's always interesting to hear people read about you. <laughs> yeah, it lands different, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow, it's so amazing. Like when, in fact, like when the uh, announcement was made, let me backtrack to how I I, I found you. Uh, when the announcement was made for the uh, Pollock scholarship. And I just went to the website and I saw like you were number one and I saw your picture. I was like, oh, another black woman. <laughs> so it was exciting. And um, we never really caught up to be able to follow up with the conversation until when we had one of our, our checking meetings and we were hoping that we would meet each other in Thailand and COVID happened. So it was really right. good <laughs> and hear your personal story. And I said, oh my gosh, I need to have Carla here on the podcast. Um, you have such a rich experience and it would be really great to let us start from um, when you had to move yourself as an expert. Um, share your story with us, Carla. Sure. So I had, having grown up as a child between two countries and got, getting a degree in international education really kind of spurred my interest in moving abroad. And so in 2007, I took a job in the UAE and um, knew nothing really about the UAE except for what I read. I had not visited. Um, and I remember telling my family that I've taken this job in the Middle East and I'm going to the UAE. And they're like, you're going where? And of course, you know, they had safety concerns and all this stuff. But my favorite story is my mother said, oh, you're going to Saudi Arabia. I was like, no, mom, I'm going to UAE. She goes, okay. And her reference is Saudi Arabia because the company she worked for shipped equipment to Saudi Arabia. So that's her oh, reference of the Middle East. Okay. And so she's like, oh, you're going where I know. And I was like, no, country next door. <laughs> but... Um, you know, it was fine. I was like, same region, country next door. And so, no, I, oh my gosh, packed and waited for my visa because it was Ramadan and then Eid at the time that I was moving to the UAE, which was October. Um, as we know, Eid moves around and Ramadan moves around in the Islamic calendar. And then, um, Finally got the message saying, you know what, your visa is taking too long. We're going to book your ticket. When you get here, we'll just um, make sure that your visa gets stamped after we arrive in the country. We may have to send you back out and do this. And then literally the morning as I was headed out to the airport, I get a tech, um, an email saying, your visa is ready and we're, we've dropped it off at the airport. And so you'll just need to go to the visa on arrival office and they'll have it for you before you go to immigration. I was like, okay. Very so I get on a plane. Yes, I get on a plane and I land in Abu Dhabi and get everything. I get through the airport. There was supposed to be someone there to pick me up and there's no one. Oh. And... Later, I found out that the person who was supposed to pick me up thought I was coming in the day before oh. and went to the airport and I wasn't there. And that didn't really report that back to HR. 
And so I get to the airport and because I've traveled, I didn't necessarily panic. I literally said, I need to find someone because my cell phone wasn't working. Yeah. Um, yeah. I need to find someone to help me. I just need, I just need a phone call. So I had two people's numbers, my boss and HR, and I was able to get a hold of my boss. I said, I'm at the airport. No one's here to pick me up. <laughs> and she's like, okay, we'll arrange someone and I'll call you back and tell you who it is. Well, of course I had used someone's phone, a national's phone actually, and he didn't get the call or he got the call, he ignored it. And so I never knew. But in the end, um, someone came and got me apologetically and then took me to my hotel. That was the start wow. of my expat life. Oh, wow. Uh, I was about to ask, like, that first instance where you got to the airport, well, between the time where the whole visa issue and then you finally got to the airport and there was nobody there. Did you have any thoughts in your mind, like, did I just make a mistake or am I still going to go ahead with this? Am I safe? <laughs> did you think about that for a minute? I think it crossed my mind for about 30 seconds. And then my other instincts kicked in. I'm a world traveler. I can do this. If no one picks, I literally said to myself, if no one picks me up in the next one hour to hour and a half, which is what they said, it will take about an hour. Then I will go outside. I, I literally went and changed money into Durham's while I was waiting. So I figure I would go outside, I will get a taxi, and I will go to my hotel. I knew what I knew the name of my hotel, I knew where it was, and so I'll just take a taxi to my hotel. And I figure by the time I get to the hotel, I could make a phone call from the hotel and tell my boss or HR that I was here. Um, so that was how I started to think. I'm like, I'm here, I've traveled. I've gotten from airport to hotels before. Why am I panicking? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And speaking about that, like it just brings to memory the resilience that comes with a lot of expat traits when you travel a lot. Um, and you just build up that muscle where you're independent. Um, yes, you might be scared sometimes, but it's just there until like when you find yourself in a situation where you really need to just um, stand up for yourself and be able to get things done you just get into that get things done mode and you get the action done um so um how long did it take you to build that resilience i mean apart from when you first moved to the uae you had traveled for a long time how many countries have you traveled um before that time um, not quite sure. Um, at least probably 15 or 20. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Cause I mean, I had been, um, I had recently been to like Iceland and the UK, um, I, like a year and a half before. Um, and yeah, like, Iceland was, I literally booked a plane and went to Iceland. And I remember my colleague was like, you're going where? I said, I'm going to Iceland for my holiday. Um, I need to get out of the United States. 
And they're like, Iceland, how did you find that? I was like, I don't know. I was just reading something about Iceland and thought it would be cool. The Northern Lights are there, so I want to see those. And that was that. Um, so I think you do, you get this sense of independence and you can do this. And I think that's what kicked in when I was in the airport. Yeah, yeah. So speaking about, um, so that was the first time when you moved in terms of work uh, from the US, UAE. Um, tell me about like the second or third time, which one stands out most memorable for you, apart from that very first time? Um, believe it or not, the UAE is still my favorite spot. But um, I think my, they're, they're also vastly different. So I went from the UAE back to the US and then I left the US the second time and went to Afghanistan. Um, that experience was so different because I, I, I walked into and lived in a country at war hmm. um, for the purpose of my passion and my career and just walking in passion and purpose, which is higher education and helping young people in higher education get an education so that they can build their own countries. And so that stands out to me um, in the sense that when I accepted the job in 2011, um, there was an incident that happened literally, I think two days before I was supposed to accept the job, when I was offered the job, but I was supposed to accept it. Yeah. And when the incident happened, I literally said, okay, I'm not going. Mm. I literally declined the job the, the day that I was supposed to let them know that am I accepting because there was an incident that happened. Fast forward a year later, I applied for the same job in 2012 and accepted it and left and wow. went. Wow, wow. And I was like, okay. And I think for me, it was the same job came open exactly one year later. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is not a coincidence. That's some deja vu moment there. <laughs> right? I was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to do this. Okay, I'm going to apply and I'm going to go. Um, and of course, my family worried and my friends and many people. And I said, I will be fine. I said, trust me. I have this sense that I will be fine. And if I'm not fine, I will leave. Mm. And so I did. Now I would say another situation was Dominica. Mm. So I went from Afghanistan to Dominica in the Caribbean. And in some ways, although it's not Jamaica where I grew up, it felt like a homecoming because it was still in the Caribbean. Yeah. It was island life, it was island food, there are many things about Dominica that reminded me of my childhood, you know, driving on the road, the, you know, the, the drop off on the side of the road to make sure you drive carefully. Um, the getting up and going to the market at four or five in the morning. So you get the fresh produce as a kid, it was always a special treat that I got to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the market with my grandmother and you know you know so you know now I'm doing it as an adult and you know for my own produce you know very different 
but I love the beach. I am a be lover of the beach. The water is like, you know, serenity to me. Yeah. So being on an island and being a 10 minute walk from the beach um, and being able to go down to the beach whenever I choose just to get that moment is bit was great. Or driving along the beach road to and from my house to work. Uh, there's yeah. a strip the of air. road. Yes, the air, the water. Uh, it was always that common moment to go into the office and that common moment to come back from the office. Mm. Um, so Dominica has lots of you know fond memories in that way. Of it reminded me of my Caribbean roots, and um, although it's a different country and has different traditions and you know things of that nature. Yeah. Speaking about um, uh, the Caribbean and the beaches, it just took me back to um, some of my coworkers. So I used to work with a team where um, the pilots were from the Caribbean and I'm from the South in Nigeria, which is closer to like the beaches and the water and the fresh produce and stuff. So we could connect a lot um, where yeah. um, the pilots, we used to fly to the oil rig, like really close to that part, the southern part of, of Nigeria. And we really could connect. We had pilots from St. Neves and Kiev and all of those places. Uh, we had pilots from Jamaica. So we could really connect just talking about the beaches and the water and the food. And people just couldn't understand, like, how come you're able to connect with these people on this level? So I totally understand what you mean by that. And then, of course, for you, uh, it's just like a, a full circle moment, like talking about getting produce at 4 a.m., just like what you used to do with your grandma. Um, I can't imagine mm -hmm. how that feels like to, to be able to experience that and get paid for it. That's like the ultimate. Today's episode was brought to you by Career Visibility Accelerator Program. Have you ever felt that sinking feeling of being left out? Then listen. There's a problem you face being a highly skilled foreign professional. If you're an immigrant, a self-funded expert, a newcomer, or have English as your second language, you've prepared for everything else, location, food, weather, a great house, schools for your kids if you have one, but you haven't prepared for the business side of selling your skills in a new environment. You might get a job just to pay the bills. Of course, we all have bills to pay, so that's understandable. But then you get sucked into just surviving. How do you get unstuck from that? And even if you got a job, how do you influence decision makers at work, confidently speak up at meetings, deal with the cultural differences that could affect your productivity and performance? You plan for every other thing else. And all of that is hinged on the work that you do. So, you need to plan for how you manage your talent, sell your skills, build your connections, and recertify to learn a new skill set. There comes Career Visibility Accelerator Program. It is here to help cut short that long, lonely, difficult process as a leading six-week virtual training program to help you stand out at work. If you're ready to take action, then join us and let's go all in. Visit www.visibleatwork.com 
Sign up for the waitlist to learn about a proven framework to confidently share your transferable skills, articulate your value, and be the superstar you've always been. It's been tested, proven, and has helped skill the careers of many foreign professionals like you. Join the Career Visibility Accelerator program so you can make that shift from surviving to thriving. Visit www.visibleatwork.com and sign up for the waitlist today. Uh, but speaking about work, um, so even though you, you were working in um, like higher education and like for us back home, there are a lot of people that want to come to school abroad. So they usually schooling in the US um, or in Canada. So they're leaving uh, other parts of the world to come to the US. You used to work in the US and then now you moved um, to these countries to work in higher ed. What would you say would be the differences that you saw stand out for you in terms of your work? Um, so I'm going to say this first. I have this philosophy. Students are students, no matter what country, what continent. Students are always, they, they're hungry for knowledge. They want the right services, the attention. They want effective efficientness that happens in their outside of the classroom experience as well as their inside the classroom experience. So regardless of what country I've been in, I've realized that students have some of the same common desires for their education. They want some of those um, practical things um, from their institution. They want to be able to get their transcripts on time. They want to register for class on time. They want to know that um, my bill is correct and I can pay it. They want to know how much financial aid I can get, you know, what scholarship is available. Um, and so when I've worked with students abroad, I think some of the differences I've noticed is that the students who, students in some of the countries I've worked, they really want to go to the US or Canada or Europe for their education, but it's not affordable, or um, it's a visa um, issue or challenge, um, you know, so they can't afford to get the visa um, for whatever reason. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's just other reasons that they can't get the visa to, to go study abroad. So in that respect, Having someone like me who have a U.S. education to come and be in their institution or be at an institution that teaches Western-style education within their country, they value. Um, and so, sorry. Um, so that is one of the things that I've noticed. There is a sense of value or respect or appreciation for those of us who come and work in higher education at the institutions that we do, whether it's their national institution or it's a Western style institution, because they know that we don't have to do this and that they get to pick our brains and they get to get a sense of, um, you know, what it may be like to be around someone who's from a Western institution that they may have wanted to attend. Mm, yeah, um, I, I really like that about like you saying students as students, 
um, and the things that they want, the things that they expect from their institution, you're, you're really, really spot on on that. Um, what would you say, um, what would you advise? So now like for students, I know you find like the undergraduates, uh, first time from high school, getting into college or the university, and then compared to like for someone who's taking a break from work and going back to school. Um, how would you advise them in terms of adapting and um, really getting up to speed in terms of their classes and the changes that comes with schooling? Okay. Um, I think you know, our traditional age students, I think some of our students, especially in the countries I've worked, struggle with um, the adaptation to college. And some of that adaptation is their um, primary, secondary institutions um, don't teach them to study, don't teach them to take notes. They don't um, have this rigor that the university setting has. It's, um, there may be some more memorization, but not critical thinking. Um, there's a lot more um, maybe, you know, working on small things together, but there's not this real team project. So I think one of the things that students can do is spend some time um, brushing up on some of the normal things. Like if you're going to an English speaking institution, spend some extra time the summer before working on English or math. Um, but I also say spend some time doing what I call, call some, what I call, I would call college prep. So start to look up online on what are ways to take notes? What are, how, what is critical thinking? Um, start to understand that in university, in college, you actually can question your professor, um, not in a negative way, but if your professor shares a thought or an idea, you can ask them to explain it, which I know is not common, in primary and secondary school. And it's okay to do that. You're not being disrespectful. Um, so that's for your more traditional students who are coming from a very structured um, system and now you're being more independent. No one's gonna tell you to do your homework. No one's gonna tell you to read. No one's gonna check those things. So learning to do some time management and understanding what those things are, I think is very important. Yeah. For yeah. someone who has been in the workforce and is planning to return to higher education, the first thing I will say to you is understand that your work experience is valuable to the classroom. The knowledge you bring, the experience you bring will give you a different perspective in the classroom. You're going to bring organizational skills that your first year students or your second year students that may be in the same class as you are, are, you know, don't have. Um, you may end up being the mentor figure to the younger cohort in some of your classes. Embrace that um, and, 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 and let that work for you. They will teach you some things and you will teach them some things. Um, do not be intimidated um, because you have all these younger people in your class. You have valuable knowledge that you can share. You can provide them some of the real life experiences when a 
issue is talked about or a topic is in class that they can now learn from. Um, your probably challenge will be work-life balance if you're still working. And if you're not still working, it's the adaptation from not working to study in full time if you're doing a master's or a PhD um, and what that means and how you now have to readjust your life um, on an academic schedule where it comes to reading, writing, doing papers, managing a family if you have one, um, those things. And so again, it's actually time management and structural change just in a different way from our first, second year and our new students. That is some amazing advice. Like, whoa, everything is packed in, in that statement that you made on really reevaluating how you spend your time and then also remembering that you have something to offer as well. Like both students, both type of students always have something to offer. Thank you so much, Carla. And uh, to wrap it up, a final question that I always ask is, um, what advice would you give for someone thinking about moving or they just recently moved abroad for work and they're having doubts in their mind if they will be able to succeed in their new location? What would you tell them? A couple of things. One, remember why you did this. You have a purpose, you have a passion of why you moved abroad. That could be financial, it could be wellness, it could be a quality of life, it could be to help your family back home. Let that be your reminder and your driving reason of how you can thrive abroad, not just survive, but thrive. Two, build a community. Find your tribe, build a community, build a network. Let that network be other expats, let that um, community be locals, uh, build a community of supporters. And it doesn't have to be large. It can literally be two or three people that have your back. When you are sick, if you, are, if you, are not, if you don't have a family and you're sick, they will check on you. If you have a family, it's someone that, you know what, you all can go out together, collaborate together. If there's children involved, their children can play together. Build your community. Those are the two most important things I can tell you that when you're having doubt, those are the things that will keep you going. Um, and, you know, look for your family support. If your family is very supportive, have them reassure you as well. Hmm. Yeah, very important. Remember why you went in the first place and then build a community, uh, build a network. It's really, really helpful. And um, finally, 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 um, so for yes. work itself. So now we've talked about remembering why. I know this translates to both work and also in the new location, but like for your career, because mm -hmm. you've managed to still maintain the career that you've had and also add on like talent stacking, adding on different other skills with your career. Yeah. How have you been able to do that? And not just say, you know what? I think I just want to just throw in the towel. I'm in a new location. I don't think I want to do this in my career. How have you been able to keep that momentum going all these years in still, still in this field? Um, how would you encourage somebody who's moved, dealing with moving, trying to remember their why, build their community, and also still want to pursue their career or discover another one? 
Um, I think part of that goes back to your why and purpose. So for me, because higher education um, and literally the bottom line of that is helping students um, is my why, my, my core why um, is what's kept me um, abroad and has kept me in my career. Um, I also have a passion for being a lifelong learner. And I think that's what's helped me to go from one country to the other and look for opportunities that are going to stretch me just a little bit. Look for an opportunity that is, you know what? I think I wanna try teaching, um, although I've been an administrator, so I wanna combine the both, which is what I did in Afghanistan. Um, I, you know what? I've been in this mid-level Maybe I'm going to apply for an upper level position, the next level above, and again, to stretch me to gain some skills. Um, volunteer for projects in your job so that you're building some skill sets along the way. Look for professional development opportunities in your organization and outside your organization that will help you and keep you grounded in your career look for conferences, look for workshops, present um, the knowledge base if you have the opportunity to do that. I have that in higher ed, but I know that in the business world, you may have sales meetings or you may have um, team workshops around specific um, areas. You may have things like Sigma Six or Lean, I forgot what it's called. Lean, Lean yeah. Lean Sigma. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Lean Sigma. So, yeah. So, take advantage of those things. Ask for those things that will help you develop your career. Set goals. You don't always have to climb the ladder. You can take a lateral move, but yeah. make sure you're learning something mm -hmm. while you're taking those moves. So, set those goals um, in order to continue in your career. Um, and realize that titles are not everything, salary is not everything, satisfaction of what you do is what's most important. What a wonderful way to wrap this session. Like, I don't even have anything to add. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank you so much, Carla. And it's so great catching up with you. And remember everyone, communication is a superpower to remain visible at work. I'll see you next.